For the Life of the World is a production of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. For more information, visit faith.yale.edu. My question is, how can we create or how can we strengthen the values that will both institutionally curb capitalism, but also bring values that are substantively Christian values to the operation of the, of the system? There are no replacements, effective replacements for capitalism. The question is, what is the Christian responsibility for the proper functioning uh, of it? And to what extent can we steer the whole of capitalist production to serve genuinely human ends as they are articulated by the Christian faith? Now, that, that would be my question. This is For the Life of the World a podcast about seeking and living a life worthy of our humanity. I'm Evan Rosa with the Yale Center for Faith and Culture. For today's episode, we're releasing an extended conversation between Miroslav Wolf and David French on economy, morality, and human flourishing. We're looking in particular at questions of whether capitalism and conservative moral values can coexist and how the demands of Jesus ethics implicate free market economy. David French is a conservative political commentator for The Dispatch, known for his opposition to Donald Trump, his commitment to religious liberty, his advocacy for civility in public discourse, and his willingness to take a clear stand on political and cultural issues informed by his Christian faith commitments. The nature of the tug-of-war about reopening the American economy in the wake of COVID-19's onset, and of course, now in the wake of its second surge, was primarily a debate about the incommensurable values of economic wealth and personal health. Or maybe better, economy in person. But more than that, the reopening debate pit the concept of what it means for human beings to flourish against the political and economic aspirations of both political parties. It sure is easy to lose sight of the human in all of this. But Christian values and commitments require that our economic theorizing and policymaking mean that the economy serves the person, honoring the dignity of human life, creating opportunity for justice and health, peace and flourishing for the good of God's kingdom. So to set up the conversation you're about to jump in on, you don't have to have listened to the previous conversation between David and Miroslav, although it was amazing. But for this segment, I asked David about a back and forth he had with Sorab Amari about the future of conservative thought, asking specifically about the way that conservative moral values, things like family, integrity, honesty, generosity, forgiveness, and purity, have been fused with free market capitalism. As David says, quote, in the absence of cultural virtue, a virtue in citizenry, a dog-eat-dog capitalism can be a miserable place, end quote. This was a wonderful and challenging conversation to listen in on. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, you know, I think uh, the, the, the fight between uh, Sorb and I was less economic and more sort of um, system, more uh, over small L liberalism and less over capitalism. Um, but I think of small L liberalism and I think of capitalism in some, some similar ways. Um, so, for example, um, in our constitutional structure, it, de- it depends on reciprocating obligations. So you have, um, on the one hand, you know, the, the statement of the obligations of the state is outlined in the preamble to or the opening of the Declaration of Independence. It's, 
we have these unalienable rights among them, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's for this per- the purpose of preserving those rights that governments are instituted among men, which is a big sweeping sort of mission statement. And that mission statement is operationalized by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. But as John Adams said in his letter to a Massachusetts militia, we can't function. Uh, this Constitution would make an America a, a, an, inc- an unfit habitation, I believe was the phrase that he would use, unless there was a corresponding set of uh, obligations from the citizens, which were, um, he said that our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to the governance of any other. And so that, in, in a nutshell, is the concept of ordered liberty. It's you are free, you have liberty. But the focus, my obligation in my exercise of that liberty is to exercise liberty towards virtuous ends. I think a lot about that in the concept, uh, context of economic freedom and the economic liberty that underlies capitalism, that in the absence of cultural virtue, in the absence of a virtue in, in citizenry, a dog-eat-dog capitalism can be a miserable place. <laughs> a dog-eat-dog capitalist uh, a, con- a, a culture can be a miserable place in the absence of, you know, the leaven and the, the, uh, the influence of a population that is, exhibits these cardinal virtues. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, one of the problems that we have both in uh, our classical liberal structure is that there are strains that emerge and in our economy is there are strains that are emerge is that when that kind of social compact is broken, you will see the the fallout and and there will be fallout. There will be consequences. And I think that one of the things we end up doing is saying, well, then there's something fundamentally wrong with classical liberalism, or there's something fundamentally wrong with economic freedom. Um, And forgetting these sort of reciprocal obligations. and, And that's one of the reasons why, you know, and this might be one of the things that was the difference between, in, in, in one of our de- debates, the question was asked, is there a difference between sort of Soreb's Catholicism and my evangelical Protestantism and how we look at this? And, you know, the evangelical Protestant in me is uh, often very focused on um, the concept of uh, religious revival, uh, very f- focused on the concept of, uh, you know, a great awakening and and the the restoration of faith as a central part in in the human a central place in the human experience as the thing that is going to do far more than this tweak or that tweak of the economic system to knit back together again our, our social fabric. Oh, that that's really really interesting. Um, but, but given these reciprocal obligations, and I I I, I know that that the system has been established with this assumption operative, but. Uh, it seems to me that no longer, if it ever applied, how it really no longer uh, applies. And then my question, I suppose, is why doesn't it uh, apply? And there are many answers that can be given uh, given to this. But I was struck, um, you know, I was reading uh, the the report, uh, a little report in New Yorker uh, on your Sarhab's debate. Mm-hmm. Um, and what caught my mind uh, attention there is the phrase uh, fusionists and post-fusionists. Uh, mm-hmm. And that refers to the 
fusionists are those who agree with Reagan's uh, attempted marriage uh, uh, between uh, free market uh, economy and conservative values. Now, uh, I mean, to me, coming from Europe, it always seemed uh, seemed a strange uh, marriage, and marriage that. Uh, is bound to get divorced sooner or, or later. Um, European conservatives, as you, I'm sure, know, uh, always looked with disbelief to what they described, very naive idea that one can combine unbridled market with kind of conservative uh, values without uh, conservative values being lost uh, in the process. And... Because the conviction there is that uh, the free market is a, a kind of culture-creating institution, which is to say also culture-dissolving institution. Um, you can have a Marxist version of it, but you can have other versions of, uh, of this, this uh, idea that, that it eats away at all kinds of values that are incompatible with its functioning and that the main value that it seeks to achieve is a profit maximization. So you might have values, but they're always subordinated precisely to that profit uh, maximization. And it seems then that, um, I mean, uh, in the uh, given this comment and our previous conversation, uh, I would I would guess that your hopes for conservatism would be dashed <laughs> given mm-hmm. what's happening uh, did you do you have do you agree with 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 this culture dissolving feature of, of capitalism uh, uh, and certain traditional culture traditional mores dissolving so that sure if you can have them very robustly there which is a condition of its possibility of the of the of the merger condition of possibility of the country uh, as a whole as a political and economic system but that seems to be counter well every every uh, economic system has culture creating and culture dissolving elements uh, every one of them. Mm. And, yeah. and, you know, as near as I can tell, I don't, I don't see sort of like a divinely, I, I don't see a, a, a sort of a clear biblical roadmap for a particular um, economic system. So yeah. I, 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 I look at a lot of the, all of these economic systems have trade-offs, all of them. Um, but what I kind of dispute with some of my nationalist uh, conservative friends is this sort of feeling that they have that creating a Euro, a much more European style, even though I think they often exaggerate the, um, they often exaggerate the extent to which Europe is uh, less capitalist than the United States. Um, but there's this sort of sense that creating a European style um, economy, one that is more dedicated to central planning, for example, one that is more dedicated to a, a larger and more expansive social safety net, one that is uh, much more generous with all kinds of measures of family leave, et cetera, et cetera, that there is this assumption that somehow that this system, that it, replicating those systems are going to bolster, because remember a lot of this, m- much of this nationalist conservatism is coming from very conservative Christians, mostly Catholic, some Protestant. That is, this is going to bolster the life and health of the Christian church in the United States of America. But if we're looking at, um, if we're looking at Europe, is that an argument for how you bolster the life and health of a Christian church? I mean, this is, 
we're talking about a, a culture that Western European culture is fairly described in many ways as post-Christian. Um, the, the, you know, you know, the United States has a far larger and far more vibrant Christian community than these, uh, much more centrally planned economies and, and, uh, so, you know, far more social safety net dedicated economies of Western Europe. And so part of what, like, as I look at this, I say, what is incompatible with what here? And you're, if you're going to be arguing to me that this sort of greater degree of central planning is going to preserve the life and health of the church, which seems to be a lot of the argument that these guys are making, I have to say I'm not convinced by that. But I, I, the other thing that I would say is I also think that a lot of what is happening here is there is a concrete nostalgia for a past that cannot be recreated. Um, sort of this, this America as this in, mighty industrial powerhouse with these Midwestern towns where you could go and work in the steel mill and your son could go work in the steel mill and your grandson could go work in the steel mill. And people forget that this economy, that that economy that created and existed for about a generation and a half, really. Um, I mean, I'm old enough to remember 35 years ago when Bruce Springsteen was singing songs about that mill is closing and it ain't coming back. And part of that was built because the United States was the only industrial power after World War II that wasn't in some degree of ruin. And so we, we were the economy that brought the world back up off its feet in many ways. And look, if Japan is fully functioning and on its feet and Germany is on its feet and China is on its feet and, and France and Britain, this sort of industrial powerhouse is something that it's just a, it's a mirage if you think you can rebuild that. And, and, and yet that sort of dangled out there as if we just turn away from free market capitalism, that mill that is empty is going to be full again. That car plant that is shuttered is going to be come back to life. All of this is going to be back the way it was. And I think that people are selling Americans a mirage. They're selling them something that they just cannot deliver. Yeah, that that, uh, that we're opening obviously a, a huge, huge question for for discussion. Um, uh, I, I think that there are many more reasons for secularization in uh, in Europe, uh, right, than um, uh, kind of planned um, or slightly more directed than uh, in the United States uh, economy. Um, and oh, sure, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and one of the major ones, I, I think, is the proximity of church to power in Europe, whereas separation of church and, uh, and power tra traditionally in the U.S. contributed to vitality of, of Christian uh, congregations. Um, but uh, but uh, you know I I want to stay with this question of of actually values. I mean I understand that uh, churches are not going to be filled if we have a little bit more uh, more, more direction and planning in our in our uh, economies. Mm -hmm. But but kind of incredible discrepancies of wealth that we see almost nowhere as we do in in, in United States. 
um, some other countries uh, as well, but in the Western, uh, in Western orbit, or whether we see the United States, uh, it doesn't matter too much uh, to me. Comparative advantages do not matter. But I, I think that seems to me uh, kind of deeply problematic. And it seems to me also one of the causes of, of uh, migration, strong migratory uh, processes that have brought into existence uh, the new European, uh, European right. But I'm actually thinking, uh, and we can debate all these things uh, much more, but I'm, I'm much more thinking about, uh, say, what Max Weber has written about, uh, about capitalism. And, and there's a kind of pride in some Christian circles uh, that Calvinism made capitalism possible. And that's probably to a certain degree right. And by the way, I, I'm not a whole scale critic of, of capitalism. I'm trying to think, uh, ask just to frame what I'm going to say. I'm trying to, to ask how does one tame something that has gone out of our, uh, of our hands? And uh, I think Max Weber was right when he said, that capitalism is an economic system with deliberate and systematic adjustment of economic means to the end of profit. Now, that means that capitalism, that, that is economic activity, has been decoupled from the vision of who human is, right? It has its own internal system according to which it operates. And that system is seeping out into the larger culture so that we as human beings do not figure as ends of the system. Profit does. And after we have profit, then we, we discern, try to discern how do we deploy profit to uh, human ends. But activity as such does not. And that seemed to me, actually, a, from Christian standpoint, from standpoint of values, from the standpoint where I spend so many of my hours working and that shapes my, my culture, that seems to me as a deeply problematic thing. And kind of unforgiving culture, uh, certainly partly it stems from the, from the system of, of, of way of producing competitiveness, self-presentation in the best possible light. All of these are seem to me features of the economic system in which we are deeply in, embedded. And so my question is, how can we create or how can we strengthen the values that will both institutionally curb capitalism, but also bring values that are substantively Christian values to the operation of the, of the system? One, one, one quick thing on the, the nationalist um, conservative argument here. One of the other things I would note is that they are also often quite explicitly trying to tie the church to the power of the state. So yeah, I, I agree that that's, that's, the, <laughs> so that's why I'm saying, I, I was going to say it and, 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 and fail to, I, I'm with you on, on, on political liberalism. Uh, I, I have a, I don't know if you're familiar with Nick Walterstorff's work um, and his work on, on, on liberalism, a kind of consocial vision of liberalism, which I think is, is exactly, exactly right. Extraordinary um, kind of, uh, political philosophy that he's developed. Yeah, I, so uh, you raised some really some outstanding questions, but I would say I, I feel like um, some of the critics of capitalism are unfair in this to the extent that they neglect the ways in which capitalism also connects with deep virtues. Um, so, for example, um, one of the things you know because we have seen the power of a cap of, of fundamentally capitalist structures to um, 
really bring much of the world out of the extreme poverty that and and absolute poverty that it has struggled with with for so many millennia and so we have seen the fruit of capitalism that it connects with human beings in a particular in in a multifaceted way and i feel like a lot of the critics of capitalism focus on uh focus on flaws because it's an imperfect system every human system is going to be imperfect but they minimize the extent to which it connects with some elements of humanity that i think are virtuous and and quite powerful and Here's one of them, hope. So one of the things about capitalism and one of the things about economic opportunity is it provides a person a really fundamental, almost elemental, um, uh, so it provides them with a fundamental element of hope in their lives. So I can improve where my lot in life, I can do better, I can I can provide for a family. I can be elevated and lifted out of this grinding poverty that I've been. It connects very deeply. This is the kind of thing that, you know, causes somebody, say, who's struggling to just uh, start operating a a beauty salon in their house. Hey, if I'm really good at doing hair, more people will come. This is hope. And it connects with this industry and this hard work. All of these things, that's good and that's virtuous. Uh, It's the thing that causes for all these much maligned tech billionaires, they walk into their garage and they clean out a bunch of boxes and it becomes their office for this thing that they, this idea that they have. And, and yeah, they own the idea. They own most of the idea. And so when it, when it succeeds, they're going to get wealthy because they own it. It's their idea. And so this, this hope that it connects, this hard, this industry that it connects with. And then I think fundamentally a properly functioning capitalist system also connects with a sense of equity and justice in the sense that you are entitled to the sweat of your brow. You're entitled to the fruits of your labor. And that's where uh, we have seen injustices creep in. When you, that's one of the reasons, for example, why um, I don't think any, I, you know, unless you're sort of a libertarian minarchist, nobody is for the unfettered market. <laughs> that's kind of a straw man that's often erected. Uh, you know, a Reagan conservative would be uh, support the web of consumer protection laws that exist that would support, uh, you know, the web of work, uh, of workplace safety and, uh, and, and, you know, the, the guards, guardrails placed on the production of our food. And all of these things are fettering the market, um, but are also designed to try to maintain a, a fundamental sense of equity in the process and, and to limit exploitation. And I think a lot of our arguments about capitalism aren't so much about capitalism as a concept itself, but they, what they become is an argument about what are, to what extent should we put those safeguards on capitalism to maintain a degree of equity in the system. And that's where we have our argument. But because our political uh, debate is so degraded and silly, we end up calling it capitalism versus socialism <laughs> when it's two, two capitalists because no one's arguing for the total state control of the means of production. It's two capitalists arguing over the extent of the guardrails is what we, we often end up just as a matter of sort of economic fact. Yeah, and I, I, I fully agree with you. And um, um, the, the, we, we can maybe put it, put it this way. Um, uh, the, the conservatism can, uh, I think, 
paradoxically then uh, thrive to the extent that institutional guard la- guardrails are placed upon uh, upon capitalism, right? Because uh, otherwise, uh, the reason why we need them in part is because it it does left on its own. It will not. Uh, it will not serve the humanity, and it will not strengthen the social the social fabric. So, um, it, is, I I agree with you. We, we, there there are there are no replacements, effective replacements for capitalism. It, it, the question is, what is the Christian responsibility uh, for the proper functioning uh, of it, and to what extent can we steer? the whole of capitalist production to serve genuinely human ends as they are articulated by the Christian faith. Now, that that would be my question. How does one do that effectively? What does it take um, uh, to achieve that? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's a, that's a, that's a big, big question. Um, but 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 don't you think that's a, that's a uh, actually it's it's a big question but it's a question of the future of of, uh, of our of the West. Yes. No. I I so absolutely. It's the very heart of it. No, I I absolutely agree. I mean, it goes, and it goes to the heart of um, yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely goes to the heart of the future, the economic and cultural future of the West in manifold ways, and I think that. Um, you know, my answer to that, to the very big question is to turn back again to the reciprocal responsibilities that number one, we cannot look to a reform, a, a top-down governmental reform of the system to repair all that ails us. Um, we also have to look at a bottom-up uh, cultural response to the system. The two have to exist together. And so that's when I, why I talk so much about the need for the, the, the absolute crying need for um, a a healthy church in our culture and in our community, and that one of the fundamental enterprises of any American Christian right now isn't just to look at the government and say to do better. It's to look at ourselves as a Christian church and saying, we have to do better. Uh, We have to be salt and light in this system. And it won't work without the salt and the light. Um, And so that's one thing that I think this this quest for and the call for a spiritual renewal um, is an indispensable element of this. When it comes to the, to the top-down uh, elements, I think that we have to be guided by some particular basic principles. And one is, as I said, um, to preserve economic opportunity as much as we possibly can up and down the entire economic ladder of the United States, paying particular attention to those who have the least resources? What is it that we can do that can provide them with a greater sense of hope and expectation of opportunity? What are those concrete things that we can do to focus on those people who have the least hope and have the least means? What is it that we can do to allow them to progress up that economic ladder? And that's, I think that's an absolutely critical um, an absolutely critical element of it. What can we do to be as equitable as possible in the sense that a person is entitled to the fair fruits of their labor? Um, how much, to the extent to which, um, you know, out and out exploitation drains confidence in the system and it drains hope from the human person. We need to focus on those things. But then the other thing that we have to do is we also have to learn from the past. 
we have to have a, a, an economic memory. And I think one of the things that bothers me about our current debate about American capitalism and industrial policy, et cetera, et cetera, is, is we often act as if um, we often act as if we haven't had these discussions for 40 and 50 years and haven't tried various things and that they haven't had certain records of success or failure. And that's one of the things that bothers me on the nationalist right often is they'll talk about things like tariff or they'll talk about trade restrictions or they'll talk about an industrial policy or worker re-education or worker retraining as if, oh, hey, I have an idea nobody's tried. Hmm. But we have, we have a lot of experience with trying a lot of different things. And what can we learn from that? And we, we just, we just the, the, the national conversation around that seems to be very fundamentally degraded. Yeah, no, I think if you put if you put human beings uh, uh, and human well-being uh, both as the as the person of needs and also person of creative uh, agency at the center of our of our thinking and design system around them, or reform systems so that especially the vulnerable ones will not be not fall between the cracks. Uh, I think we'll do we'll do well. For the Life of the World is a production of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture at Yale Divinity School. This episode featured theologian Miroslav Wolf with David French. I'm Evan Rosa, and I edited and produced the show. For more information, visit us online at faith.yale.edu. New episodes drop every Saturday, and you can subscribe through any podcast app. Thanks for listening and supporting the show. If you haven't reviewed the show, but you're loving what you're hearing, we'd be grateful if you head over to Apple Podcasts on your phone or your desktop and review and rate the podcast. And if that's just not your thing, eh, go ahead and tell a friend or two or three or a lot. But thanks regardless. We're glad you're listening. Peace to you. And we'll be back with more good stuff next week. 